from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like who I could. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got it. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Monday, June 8th. And a lot happening over the weekend. On Friday, Washington Governor Jay Inslee announcing that pro sports can resume practices and activities as we move in here in King County into a modified version of phase one, phase 1.5, but I'll explain how this impacts each of Seattle's professional sports team, as well as how it impacts Washington sports. We got to hear from Jen Cohen on Friday on with the professor, John Clayton. So we've got some comments from her on how they plan on approaching it, how the PAC 12 is approaching it. And then also pretty cool over the weekend uh, University of Washington men's basketball uh, coach Will Conroy and organizing an event which ended up having hundreds of people at and a panel of speakers including Jamal Crawford Zach Levine Isaiah Thomas uh, Brianna Stewart Jewel Lloyd and more we'll discuss why he felt compelled to organize that we'll also hear from Cliff Averill on it it's all ahead in this hour right now let's get to your headlines As I mentioned, Friday, Washington Governor Jay Inslee announced that pro sports can resume in Washington practices and activities in all counties, regardless of phase, but cannot have fans in stadiums. Fourteen counties were approved to move into the next phase of Inslee's Safe Start plan on Friday. King County was approved to move into a modified version of Phase 1, Phase 1.5. Under the new phase, outdoor gatherings of five people or fewer are allowed. Snohomish and Pierce counties were approved for phase two. So how did these impact local sports teams? The Seattle Times did a great article um, breaking down how this impacted each of the local teams. Beginning with the Seahawks, they were allowed to have coaches back in the building as soon as Friday. The NFL on Thursday told every team that coaches would be allowed back in facilities Friday if it was approved by local authorities and that they expected all but one team, that would be the San Francisco 49ers, would be approved and able to have coaches back in their home facilities. The league has hoped to keep some competitive parity and have every team on the same reopening path, not have teams moving back into facilities beforehand. NFL teams are still conducting their off-season programs right now. I've been holding a lot of virtual meetings, uh, recreating the world of virtual meetings. Players are still not allowed in team facilities unless, of course, they are in some physical rehab program. But Friday's move means that Coaches can hold those meetings from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center in Renton, but it doesn't mean that players can be back in them. So it doesn't change too much uh, for the likes of Pete Carroll still on those Zoom conferencing calls, but not with people physically in the room. The NFL has not said when yet players will be allowed in team facilities before the window for the offseason program ends on June 26th. Even if players are allowed back in team facilities, teams not expected to be back on the field until training camps in late July. And remember, the NFL had said that teams have to host those in their home uh, states, in their home facilities, so not allowed to travel 
on that front. As for the Mariners, under Ensley's guidelines uh, and by meeting any requirements set in an agreement with MLB and the MLBPA, remember they had a lengthy uh, health and safety protocol set that they, 67 pages, I believe, that they had drafted, although they have yet to reach an agreement. But the Mariners could hold a spring training 2.0 and regular season games at T-Mobile Park without fans if and when baseball starts. Yes, that is still uh, if and when. And we will dig into that later in this hour on the latest, the standoff or a staring contest, as Jeff Passan calls it, between these two parties. But the Mariners still need final approval from the city, which can enforce limitations. Our own Shannon Dreher, Mariners insider, on a Friday, speaking, though, that uh, players have been working out. They are ready to play. They want to play. Clubs are getting ready to play. Players are getting ready to play. Players have been working out this entire time. They are showing up at spring training facilities right now. And in the home ballparks, all sorts of things are happening, from what I'm hearing across the league, and getting those ballparks ready for what they will have to go through in the safety protocols. So I don't think you do all of that work and not play. But, you know, obviously we're not there. We've got a long way to go, and, you know, they are – beyond being on the clock right now. The clock's run past them. they got to get going. Keeping in mind, the Mariners will have a large amount of people involved in the coaching staff, medical staff, other necessary people. So that will create some creative challenges in terms of uh, working multiple shifts for a spring training. As for the Sounders, the Sounders GM and uh, President of Soccer already upgraded the club to a phase one and a half of training with approval on Thursday. And where they're at, the Starfire Sports Fields, the club uses in Tukwila. It's even been bracketed off so players can social distance during drills. The ball being the only equipment permitted to pass between them. Coaches are required to wear masks on the sideline and everyone has to have their temperature checked. They have to use hand sanitizer and they're required to stay home if they are ill. Inslee's plan for reopening is parallel and goes in line with MLS's lifting of its full training moratorium this week. As for the Storm, the WNBA submitted a return-to-play proposal that mirrors the NBA and would also be played in Florida, according to ESPN and Washington Post reports. But we still have no official comment on that uh, from the Storm, and details of a potential return are still unclear at this time. As for Washington, those hoping to watch their favorite college sports soon, Friday's announcement specifically states that it excludes school-connected or administered team sports. There's still some optimism uh, that a section of Husky student-athletes, especially including football players, will be able to return to campus by the middle of the month. The Pac-12, as of now, is allowing schools to resume voluntary workouts on campuses on June 15th, which is not that far off. And Washington Athletic Director Jen Cohen, joining 710 on Friday to discuss, said they will bring students uh, with most need back to campus beginning on that June 15th date. One of the things we're really excited about right now is the approval from the Pac-12 president to allow voluntary workouts to begin again at Pac-12 schools beginning in the middle of the month, June 15th. And as long as those uh, workouts are supported by a very strong medical plan that the Pac-12 advisory committee has developed. And so we're targeting that time to start to bring um, the students that need access the most to our training facilities, that opportunity um, here shortly. So once at the time, right, we're just excited to see our students again. Yes, uh, everybody all excited on that front as well. 
Uh, also over the weekend, pretty incredible. It was actually hours after a an emotional memorial for George Floyd in Minneapolis. Seattle athletes gathered at Liberty Park in Renton for a rally uh, to discuss social du- justice. It was organized by University of Washington men's basketball assistant coach Will Conroy and drew hundreds of people all wearing masks, of course, and a big time panel of speakers, including Jamal Crawford, Zach Levine, Isaiah Thomas, Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, Cliff Averill as well. And Cliff Averill joining 710 on Friday to discuss uh, and talked about why they decided to do this and what it was focused on. So just inspiring the kids as well, letting them know that, hey, although we see this is going on in the world, don't you feel like you're less than? Don't you feel like, um, you know, you, you don't belong as well, right? And kind of unfortunately having to talk about different stories that have happened to different individuals and letting them know that although you wear a football jersey, all the way you wear a basketball uniform, like these, like outside of your uniform, these things still exist. So just be prepared and understand how to navigate in those waters because at the end of the day, the main objective is to get home that night. Um, so, it's, again, it's unfortunate that you have to have these conversations or these types of, of, of meetings, but that's the world we live in right now. And, um, you know, we just want to inspire the youth. Speaking of that youth, Cliff Averill mentioning how difficult it is to have conversations with his eight-year-old son about how to be safe, how to make it home safely every day. So I had to have a talk with my eight-year-old, unfortunately, right? I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, my oldest. Um, he goes to a school, he goes to a private school that's predominantly white, um, you know, all these different things. And it's unfortunate that you have to bring these conversations up. But, uh, you know, he watches TV and he kind of sees what's going on. And, and we had to sit him down and, and kind of set up a protocol in a sense. And he, we, we've done this a couple years ago, but it's almost like a refresher for him um, to the point where it's like, hey, okay, number one goal Every single day, whatever the circumstances are, make sure you're always processing and thinking that, hey, the ultimate goal is to get home, right? It is to make it home. We can battle the rest of the stuff later. Cliff Abel, we'll hear more from him in the hour, um, as well as how he believes the Seahawks will handle this situation and if they could form a stronger bond because of it, plus his thoughts on the D-line coming up later this hour. Up next on The Blitz, Roger Goodell released a response to the NFL players' video asking the league to speak up on their behalf. And Goodell's response uh, seemed pretty incredible, especially for an organization that's been quiet and tight-lipped on this. Uh, But did it surprise a couple of the owners that he put that out there? I'll explain next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 8th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Uh, Earlier in the hour, we discussed how sports here locally, professional sports, will be impacted by uh, King County moving to phase one and a half. And more on that later in this hour as well. But first, later last week, the NFL players released a statement, a powerful statement, on the killing of George Floyd and ending racism. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your players? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am 
Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Gordon. I am McCormick Dunn. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown Jr. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I am Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So, on behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National, National Football League, League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Michael Thomas and several of those other players participating in that, posting that on Twitter last week. Brendan Minter, who is a creative producer for the NFL, spoke on how they came up with the script for the video. Sure. So the script was directly inspired by conversations that we had had throughout the week with my NFL social colleagues um, through looking at posts like Tyron Matthew, uh, Mike Thomas, um, other prominent NFL stars, um, collecting that sentiment and using that as a, you know, the collective voices uh, coming to, I guess, that truth, universal truth. That that is the only reason why that many players were so easily able to jump on and, and buy into it, that it resonated with them. It is exactly what they had been expressing this whole week, this whole season, uh, all their lives. It uh, did elicit a response from Roger Goodell, a, a statement in response to the players. It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular, black people in our country. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe Black Lives Matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much-needed change in this country. Without Black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. There were a couple of reports out there saying that uh, the owners weren't, some of them weren't aware that Goodell was going to make this statement, um, including, I believe, Jerry Jones's name was thrown in there as one that was unaware that this was happening. What was the reaction from different players and around the league and also just some of the national pundits? Nash, Dominique Foxworth of The Undefeated, his reaction to Goodell. I mean, it's different from everybody. It's not just the NFL. I understand that they are the latest ones, but it feels like the world kind of changed for all of us in this moment. And we're in this unique window right now where it feels like we can actually get some things to change and people are actually showing some genuine concern and interest in the things that black people have been screaming about for so long. So 
I think the, the responsibility for all of us is to keep pushing. Just keep pushing because we don't know when this window is going to close. We don't know when things are going to go back to people not caring what we have to say or people um, dismissing uh, the the plight and the anger and the injustice that have inflicted uh, that has been inflicted on us for hundreds of years. So right now we're in this moment. Let's not worry about necessarily how or why it's changed, but understand that there is an opportunity and we need to keep pushing. And powerful words there by Goodell. But that also means that NFL owners have to back up his statement and what he's saying, Ryan Clark, on that. It's easier to give a rich to get a rich man to write you a check than it is to get a busy man to give you his time. And I think that is very important. The NFL owners need to give their time. They need to give their hearts. They need to lend their presence to this cause. They also need to hire in a way that shows that not only are they trying to inspire change, but they are changing themselves. And I think Kyle Shanahan had great comments on the hiring in the NFL. And I believe that that is another piece. If we put African-Americans in positions of power in positions of influence, I think that can only further the cause for equality for all. Dominic Foxworth also saying he wouldn't have believed that they'd even be having these conversations on ESPN a week ago. And that in itself displays progress. When we came on here and started talking about this, if you would have told me uh, a week ago that we would be able to have these conversations on ESPN airs, I would be I'd be completely shocked. But the world has changed underneath us. And, I, and I'm sure at some point, decades from now, we'll have somebody figure out why or what happened and understand all these um, factors that contributed to it. But right now, our um, our mandate, I think, is to continue to push. And the players are doing that. They're picking it up and they're pushing forward. And we need to do the same thing. And it goes for me, you, everyone here, and everyone who's watching it, everyone who believes in equality in America. Coming up on The Blitz, uh, Nate Burleson had a emotional reaction to Drew B's comments. There's still more details uh, and things that are unfolding in that story as well, including uh, the president tweeting at Drew Brees and Drew Brees responding to him. We'll, we'll get into the details of that. Also, more from Cliff Averill coming up. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Monday, June 8th. Getting you ready, getting you started this week. If you don't already, I highly recommend listening to, subscribing to Mina Kimes' ESPN Daily Podcast. Um, Just a, a quick way to get one story every single day, the biggest story in the sports world. And Mina does, of course, an incredible job doesn't hurt that she's a Seahawks fan also, but uh, she did a a remarkable job laying out the timeline of Colin Kaepernick's uh, protests while his speaking up for police brutality and then resulting uh, blackballing from the NFL. Here was me. George Floyd! George Floyd! We have levers right now. We got to keep pushing forward. As the world mourns and protests the death of George Floyd, I'm angry. Many athletes have drawn parallels between the horrific video of a Minneapolis police officer kneeling on Floyd's neck and a contrasting image of former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem to protest racism and police brutality. And Super Bowl 47. Seven years ago, 
second year in the league, was at the top of his game, leading the 49ers to a Super Bowl. That would all change. The 49ers and the Packers at Levi's Stadium. August 26, 2016, preseason game at Levi's Stadium. As the national anthem plays, Kaepernick sits. A few days later, he explained. I'll continue to sit when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent and this country is representing people the way that's supposed to i'll stand kaepernick would later explain he was motivated to act after 26 year old mario woods was shot and killed by san francisco police there's a lot of things that need to change one specifically is police brutality there's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. NFL star suddenly at the center of a national debate. Colin Kaepernick is speaking out about his protest. After Kaepernick's He's protest made national news, Nate Boyer, a former NFL long snapper and retired Green Beret, reached out to the quarterback and suggested he kneel instead of sitting as a sign of respect for the military. People were upset. People were on his team, against him. It was like it became this very two-sided, divisive issue. I support the rights. Those are rights that I fought for. And whether we agree with them or not is not what matters. As the 2016 season progressed, other NFL players joined Kaepernick's protest, despite the backlash it inspired. The movement spread outside the NFL, from high school football players to U.S. women's soccer star Megan Rapinoe. I'm Colin Kaepernick, and I know my rights. That fall, Kaepernick also launched the Know Your Rights Camp, a nonprofit to provide resources to young people and help them navigate encounters with police. I'm currently working uh, with organizations to be involved and making sure that I'm actively in these communities, uh, as well as donating the first million dollars I make this year to different organizations to help these communities and help these people. On January 1st, 2017, the quarterback played his last game as a 49er. Kaepernick, who was likely to be cut, opted out of his contract. He did not receive a single offer from an NFL team. He's radioactive to these owners. The fact is Kaepernick can't get a job anywhere. It's political for the NFL not to give Colin Kaepernick a job. When the 2017 season began, the protests were still going on. And then this. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! That weekend, players across the league took a knee. What makes this the greatest country in the world are the liberties it was founded upon and the freedom to express oneself in a respectful and peaceful manner. Colin Kaepernick is taking action against the NFL. The free agent QB has filed a grievance under the collective bargaining agreement. This move is not through the NFL Players Association. The thought behind this move is that league owners are perhaps colluding against him since he first knelt during the national anthem. In September 2018, Nike made Kaepernick still out of the league, the face of a new ad campaign. Believe in something. Even if it means sacrificing everything. 
He's done a lot for the African-American community. And it's cost him a lot. And, you know, it's it's sad, but having a huge company back him, I feel like that was a really powerful statement. As the 2019 season began, Kaepernick was still unsigned. Then, in week 11, the NFL announced, with little notice, that it would hold a private workout for Kaepernick. But after contentious negotiations broke down, the quarterback decided to hold his own workout. Only a handful of scouts showed up. I've been ready for three years. I've been denied for three years. We all know why I came out here, showed it today in front of everybody. I interview with any team at any time, and I'll continue to be ready. And now, six months later, as the NFL and its teams issue statements decrying systemic racism, as players and coaches make their voices heard, Kaepernick's name is being brought up again. Colin was trying to symbolize the oppression that was going on in America and that has been going on for 400 years. And the reality is what Colin was trying to do was that he was trying to do the right thing. Regardless of whether you agree with how he did it or not, that doesn't matter. What Colin was protesting was something that was should be respected by all humans. What you cannot do is use the flag as a blindfold. You can't you can't use the flag as a blindfold and not see the things you've seen with your very eyes that tell you that what's keeping this country held back is this systemic racism. Four years after Kaepernick first took a knee, much of the NFL and the world has rallied behind his cause. He remains an activist and recently raised funds to help protesters in Minneapolis. He also remains unsigned. That was Mina Kimes on the Daily Podcast. And as I said, please go ahead, subscribe, download that. Uh, ESPN Daily uh, will get you the biggest news sp- story of the day and usually a pretty impactful one, as Mina did there. Up next on The Blitz, it is time for the hot list. Roger Goodell's response to the players' video. Well, a couple of owners may not have been aware that it was happening, but now how do they move forward this season if players do decide to protest? Adrian Adrian Peterson coming out and saying he absolutely will, uh, and will other players be among those also demonstrating their right to protest and will the NFL, will owners back them up on it? It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the hot list. Holy mackerel. The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes. What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go. Thanks, friends, for your patience. We are finally back on the hot list here. And we've been watching, especially baseball fans everywhere, with rapt attention as the MLB and the MLBPA try to work towards a solution for 2020. And the latest on this was the players floated their proposal to Major League Baseball. That was rejected. Uh, They went for a 114-game season and full proration on their salaries. MLB said uh, they rejected it, but also didn't offer a counter proposal. They just said, hey, uh, if you want to negotiate with yourself, you can. Players said, absolutely not. We won't do that. 
And they're now at somewhat of a standstill or as a staring contest is what Jeff Passan called it. That's where we're standing right now with Major League Baseball over here, with the players over here, and it's a big old staring contest. And I know I have really bloodshot, watery eyes right now because this this staring contest has gone on for way too long. As somebody told me yesterday, we're getting toward the end. And I think there's going to be a resolution at some point. The question, though, is does Major League Baseball really believe that a 48-game season is in the best interest of the sport? And if it doesn't, is it willing to move up, add more games to it, and maybe, possibly, perhaps, the union comes and meets them, if not somewhere in the middle, then somewhere on the higher end, hopefully. Because, look, more baseball, always a better thing. Passing though, saying the players aren't going to get bullied by owners. In the end, it's going to be about the money, but there's some other dynamics at play here. The most important one is power. And, and the problem with power is that it is something that has been wrested away from the players by the league bit by bit over the last 25 years. And following the 2021 season, it's the expiration of the collective bargaining agreement. I think right now players want to say to the league and to owners, we are not going to take you bullying us anymore. We're going to stand up for ourselves. We're going to stand up for what we believe in. We have lost half of our salary already this season because of the coronavirus. We do not want to lose a penny off of the other half. Buster only also speaking to this saying there was no progress made last week. No one's left their respective bunkers. Nobody has really made a serious effort to compromise to this point. They continually, both sides, the owners and the players, basically keep restating their same position. Uh, the owners uh, offering the same lump of money in different forms, whether it was the 50-50 revenue split, the 82 games, you know, what we're hearing now, maybe a 48 game. And on the player's side, they're saying full salary, full salary, full prorated salary uh, for whatever number of games are being played. So they're in their respective bunkers. And meanwhile, every day, the, the two sides are doing damage to the sport. It's just as embarrassing. It's just as awful. And you keep on waiting for someone in power to really begin to look at this from 30,000 feet and do what they can to get in the middle ground because the NBA is moving forward and the NHL is moving forward and other sports are moving forward. And the team that had the biggest opportunity is losing it by the hour. Only saying labor issues will loom if MLB season ends up being canceled. If they don't play baseball this year, all they're doing is deferring all of these ugly labor questions with the CBA set to expire in December 2021 into next spring. And then you bring in the potential of a player strike. And then you do bring in the potential for owners playing the long game and saying, you know what, we got the bigger pile of chips. We'll wait out the players until we get a financial system that we really like. That's why you do hope in the next 48, 72 hours that the owners start the process and that the players take advantage of it and they can find a middle ground. They've already done enormous damage to the sport, but they can limit it if they actually get back on the field in a collaborative way. Um, The possibility of the season being entirely canceled, Jeff Passan saying uh, he doesn't believe that will happen, that we will have Major League Baseball even if the players don't like it, and even if it has to be that 48-game season, as the owners uh, mentioned. The whole point of this is we will play baseball. It'll just be in a 48-game season, which is kind of a joke. 
Uh, it will be without expanded playoffs, which players proposed in their last proposal, which, by the way, it was not a good proposal. It was nothing that was going to be accepted by the owners, but they at least showed a willingness to expand the playoffs to 14 teams, which is more money uh, in the pockets of the owners. Um, in the end, though, yeah, we would have a 48-game season, and we would probably have a uh, grievance from the Players Association, and who knows where that would go. Uh, I do, though, think that there's going to be baseball, and I think the resolution's going to come fairly soon because I think everybody involved recognizes that uh, baseball screwed up already by missing its opportunity to come back before every sport and have an enormous lead on that comeback. And at this point, we're talking weeks before the NBA as opposed to a, a couple of months potentially. So let's let's talk about that happier news. That would be the NBA and a lot of progress being made on that front. July 31st, potential start date for them in Orlando. Uh, Brian Windhorst, though, mentioning, as we haven't really heard too much on the health and safety protocol for the NBA, he says, wait until you see the guidelines for that. You think that there's been angst and argument over the format of this? Just wait until next week when the NBA unveils what they're calling the protocol, which is going to be a hundred page document about what you can do and can't do in Orlando and about what all the testing rules are going to be and the movement rules and how life is going to go and how you will dress in your hotel room, get on a bus, play the game, then not shower, get back on the bus and go back to your hotel room. When they're going to keep doing the testing, what sort of uh, rules about where you can go, where you're allowed to eat, how you can eat. I mean, I know that this sounds funny. When you're allowed to go to the pool. Because, you know, you can't have all 1,200 people in the hotel at the pool at the same time. You're going to have to negotiate that when you're going to be allowed to practice, when you're going to be allowed to get on the, uh, the, the, the Stairmaster or whatever. When that protocol comes out, there's going to be a lot that the players are going to have to discuss. In addition to the fact that there's all these issues that are more about money, like what about my contract bonus for playing 70 games? Do I still get that or not? What about my free agency? What about this clause? What about that clause? There's like 40 guys who have to have things in their contracts and bonuses worked out. Well, we got a really emotional, heartfelt statement from the NFL players last week and Michael Thomas leading the charge on that, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. This video likely doesn't happen without Michael Thomas. I'm told the league leader in receptions took the lead on this matter. He got a hold of most of the players, either directly or through their agents, to get their FaceTime calls. He also got in contact with an NFL social media coordinator, somebody who works with players directly during the season, and he needed some help with the execution of the video, the framing, the presentation. And so he got help there, and the league knew it was happening. I'm told they were very happy about it. Uh, that's pretty cool. Michael Thomas leading the way there as well. Adrian Peterson, he said, without a doubt, uh, He'll be taking a knee during the national anthem to protest racial injustice, and he expects that he'll be joined alongside several NFL players. The Washington running back made his comments to the Houston Chronicle on Friday in discussing Drew Brees' comments from last week that players kneeling during the anthem were disrespecting the flag. Of course, Drew Brees has apologized for those comments and said that he was wrong, not only in a statement, but then in a subsequent video and uh, we'll dig into another response that happened to that in just a second. But as we know, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick, the first to protest racial injustice in the United States by kneeling 
during the anthem. Uh, after being released by the Niners in 2017, he has gone unsigned and reached a settlement with the NFL last year after filing a grievance alleging collusion by teams against him signing a contract because of his protest. The league even adopted a policy in 2018 that required players to stand for the anthem but allowed them to stay in the locker room during it, only to pull the policy back after an agreement with the NFL Players Association. Last season, only a handful of players knelt during the national anthem to protest racial injustice, but now following a national protest over the death of George Floyd, as well as several others in police custody. Um, But it appears more players will be taking a knee, according to Peterson. When he's asked by the newspaper if he plans to take a knee, he said, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And he expects several other players to do so as well. Uh, On Friday, we did hear from Roger Goodell in a statement that he made in response to players admitting that uh, they have in the past said uh, erred in how they dealt with NFL player protests of police brutality and systematic racism over the past couple of years. He didn't really mention what the policy would be moving forward, but admitting that you uh, erred in the past couple of years is a good start. Howard Bryant, ESPN senior writer, uh, saying that in order for the NFL to have reconciliation, they have to face the issue. And not only did they end one player's career, but they actually created an entire organization to neutralize him. The Players Coalition exists because Colin Kaepernick was kneeling. So it's a lot of this is misdirection to me. I think the real problem with what's taking place here is if we're all about what we've been seeing for the past couple of the last week in terms of all of these statements and such, can you have reconciliation without truth? Can you actually talk about moving forward and actually caring about these issues when you still couldn't even mention Colin Kaepernick's name? You couldn't mention his name and you couldn't mention police. Now, these are very difficult issues, obviously, but at some point you have to face the issues. To be fair, he did mention police brutality in that video, but that was Howard Bryant, ESPN senior writer, on the issues at play here. In response to Commissioner Roger Goodell's video last week, uh, in which he said the NFL aired, uh, the president has now responded, tweeting late Sunday night, uh, saying... Uh, Could it be even remotely possible that in Roger Goodell's rather interesting statement of peace and reconciliation, he was intimating that it would now be okay for the players to kneel or not to stand for the national anthem, thereby disrespecting our country and flag? In Goodell's message, he did not address the national anthem, the American flag, or kneeling. And I love this comment from Ryan Clark saying the NFL owners, they have to back up Goodell's statement. It's easier to to get a rich man to write you a check than it is to get a busy man to give you his time. And I think that is very important. The NFL owners need to give their time. They need to give their hearts. They need to lend their presence to this cause. They also need to hire in a way that shows that not only are they trying to inspire change, but they are changing themselves. And I think Kyle Shanahan had great comments on the hiring in the NFL. And I believe that that is another piece. If we put African-Americans in positions of power, in positions of influence, I think that can only further the cause for equality for all. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.